we know that there's a lot of data out there around uh, a lot of minority groups that don't get access to some of this funding. So there are already different uh, establishments or or companies that are trying to address this gap because they recognise that bias exists in this space. And this is going down on a more micro level and more about bias in data to make sure that you're not taking your business down a path that actually isn't based on uh, clean data that will kind of help you strategically. On today's show, we're talking to Nana Parry, the founder of Tectonics. We're talking all about data, we're talking about bias, and we're talking about customer insights. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly tech podcast with myself, David Savage, where we interview industry leaders and bring you a bit of tech news. Akish, how are you? I'm very well, David. I'm very well. You instead David. of a quiz, instead of a quiz at this this weekend, we played yeah. Countdown with my mates. Did you? There is a website that also yep. generates the countdown game for you and has the countdown clock. So if you do it on screen share, you can literally go, I'll have I'll have a, a consonant, I'll have a vowel, and it, it populates and you can all see it. And then the little clock with the sound. Yeah. We were shit. Really? So we played there was one person hosting it and then three of us dialed this. There's only four of us on call, it's quite a small call. Mm. And uh it, my mate Richard was like, right, so in third place, a commendable twenty-one. David and Haley, and we were like, oh, that's not too bad. And then in oh. second place, James and Emma, 43. Uh, okay, we did pretty badly. Yeah. <laughs> did they, uh, did they we have got like less a... than half. The... Oh, mate, did, did they, um... That's mental. Did they have like a dictionary? What's it called? Dictionary Corner or something? Oh, uh, no, so my mate did it quite well. He'd kind of got Dictionary Corner clips from eight, eight out of ten cats, and when it, which would normally be Dictionary Corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The funny ones from now. You did it quite well, to be honest. But. Enough. We were rubbish. Like, I don't know what's wrong. My brain doesn't, like, stick me under that 30-second yeah. pressure. Yeah. And my wife's convinced that I'm slightly um, dyslexic for the fact that we were once walking along the Thames and I looked at a boat and I went, that's weird. Why would you call a barge Dr. Agonfly? She was like, Dragonfly? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were dog shit. Yeah. Anyway, you're all right. I'm, I'm very well. I'm very well. Same old, same old, I guess. Just another day, yeah. but... Uh... Yeah, we're surviving. We're getting through it. We're getting through it. Good. Good. We will go to today's interview. It is with Nana Parry, the founder of Tectonic. Extraordinary startup story, really. Um, plenty of interesting insight. We'll be back with a bit of commentary and news straight after it. Joining me today, we've got Tectonic CEO and founder, Nana Parry. How are you this morning? Very well, Dave. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um a little bit sad looking outside the window because after glorious weather for the best part of it feels like two or three weeks, it's raining. I know. It feels like it's been a while since it's been a normal British weather day recently. But yeah, we're definitely back to what we expect on an on an April day. In it is April. That That is a good point. It was, yeah. it was interesting. I went for a run this morning and there were obviously noticeably fewer people out, but kind of a few hardy souls getting there getting their daily exercise in but uh yeah it feels suddenly like we've rewound about two months exactly yeah we were just transported from fake summer to real spring (laughs) (laughs) it can't be far until it returns anyway that's not why we're here to chat um tectonic tell us about tectonic because according to your linkedin page you validate your clients product ideas by using the right data to ensure long-term commercial viability um tell us a little bit more than that one liner about what you do yeah, sure. So effectively, what we try and do as a business is 
help startups and small to medium-sized businesses understand the needs of their customer so they can go and validate those assumptions. Um, Because we hate to admit it, but ultimately a lot of us business owners are making assumptions on a daily basis about who our customers are, why they're behaving in the way they are, why they're buying. And sometimes we rely too often on things like Google Analytics or different um, tools to kind of give us that data. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. we believe that actually going to validate these assumptions with your customers um, is the best thing that you can do to actually make strong business decisions. Because ultimately, without our customers, without the people that are actually buying from us because we are providing value to them, how can we continue to provide that value? And also, how can we know when potentially that value proposition has changed as a result of a change in their in them or their behavior or their own circumstances? Um, sure. Yeah, in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> and you said you, st- you well, you've, you've mentioned before uh, we hit record that you've started this business by accident three years ago. Yes. Yeah, very much accidentally. Um, so I used to live in Denmark, mm-hmm. in Copenhagen, probably best some of the best years of my life. And it was a very, um, I had a very international group of friends, very international crowd. And I decided to go and visit one of my friends after the uh, time in Denmark was over. And she lived in, in Casablanca, in Morocco. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I used to travel a lot. So I just, you know, got on the plane, landed in the airport in Casablanca, and when I got there, um, I was at passport control. They took my passport, looked at it, and looked at me, looked at it, looked at me, and just said, passport control, come over here. And I was like, okay, I have no idea what's going on. I have a very African name in my passport, passport, but I don't sound very African, so <laughs> maybe, they were, maybe they were concerned. Um, and then after, you know, 15 minutes went by, 30 minutes went by, and I had no idea what was happening. And then came asked for my driving license and then before I knew it every identification piece of identification I had I didn't wasn't in my possession um but it was happening to another guy uh in the airport as well we were in this room and we just got talking and I was telling him that you know I'm in the technology business um build software help businesses um in different ways and he um said to me oh you know what I really want to get into the apps business I've got some money I'll meet you in London next week let's go let's figure this out provided you were given your identification back of course yeah, provided, yeah exactly, yeah, provided <laughs> exactly able to leave the airport that would be the plan but actually it was it was this guy that um who effectively managed to use his influence somehow to um to get me out of the airport along with alongside himself so exchange details and uh didn't think too much of it and then next I think, yeah, a few days later, he gave me a call and said, hey, um, I'm coming to London in two days. I want to meet your team. I want to do this. Let's go. And at the time, I didn't have a team. It was just me working on different projects myself. And then the day before, he said, I'm bringing my CTO, I'm bringing, you know, I'm et cetera. And I just thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to make this happen because it's a great opportunity here. So I called my friends from old workplaces, people in my network. Who, who were freelancers, contractors, and thought, and I just asked them, you know what, this is happening, it's real, let's, should we try and do this thing? And then he, we booked a hotel, because we didn't have an office space, we made a website 
the night before about mm-hmm. what to do um, with the team pictures and everything. And the team were meeting each other, some of them for the first time in that wow. meeting with the client. And uh, it was it was great. It was um, what basically kicked off the business. And it was that that allowed us, that piece of work that allowed us to fund ourselves as we kind of grew the business. So we were able to bootstrap the business com- completely as a result of that happening. Um, so yeah, very interesting story. I suppose, it, I suppose it's an interesting one because we were chatting beforehand about where you'd like to kind of take this conversation. And one of the second points that you've, you've mentioned is, you know, validating your idea, validating your business. Yeah. But almost, you, don't, <laughs> you didn't have to. Like, you know, th- this is quite different from someone coming up with an idea, mm-hmm. getting investment, building the product, going to market, trying to attract customers. Mm-hmm. You have an idea, someone comes on board, and then you're building as quickly as you can. It's almost like you've got a wireframe and you're just doing your best to kind of put the pieces in place to, to meet the needs of that customer. So the business is it was was being validated almost on a, on a minute-by-minute basis, right? Exactly. And I think that's that's a really good point because there isn't one way to, to validate. There are definitely multiple ways to do it. And I think in this situation, we felt that, well, I felt that, you know, the market of building applications has been around for, you know, however many years. So from a, there's a market validity point, which is, do people pay currently to have products built? Because it's not a new concept. It's a, it's less of a leap of faith or it's less of a risk to start, for example, a coffee shop or um, you know, as, as, risk, as risky as these businesses are, especially now, principally, um, it's not a leap to, um, to to kind of start a business like that. But when you're starting something that's potentially a bit more novel, or it's in a space where you are trying to attract a different type of customer, then this kind of customer need validation up front is, is really important, um, especially if you have limited resources, uh, time and money. Uh, that you actually benefit from the data to make these decisions that allow your business to um, to kind of continue or cease if it doesn't make sense to continue as well. So uh, according to your website, at Tectonic, we give you an unbiased understanding of your customers' exact needs so you can make better decisions for your business today. Mm-hmm. Except right now, today is a particularly bizarre situation where mm-hmm. understanding customers' needs well, everything that we've we've known about customers and behavior and whatever else has kind of been thrown out the window to, to a certain extent, right? So how, how are you coping with the current period where obviously buying intention and whatever else is, is wildly different from where it was, say, three months ago? Yeah, so, so for our business in particular, I guess, because of the nature of what's happening, people are needing or businesses are needing to understand more so what actually has changed. So if you're a B2C business, um, and you, you're you used to selling to a particular type of consumer, you recognise that obviously there are limitations in that. But again, we're tempted to use the media or um, certain resources to to help us, be- to make us believe that we understand why these changes are happening amongst these customers. So mm. for our business, people are coming to us more often than previously because they feel like actually... This, this, there's been such a defining global um, change in behavior from, you know, if you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, people are going back down 
to, to some of the basic, very basic things, food, shelter, et cetera, in their behavior. So we as businesses need to understand how does what we offer today rank in terms of priorities with um with with the things that they were with how they were purchasing previously so, mm. so for us it's 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 attracted more interest in what we do um and for businesses i think it's really important to recognize that this is a fundamental change um you know we'll go back to a semblance of how it was eventually but we don't know when that's going to be so collecting that data as you go along to really tap into who your customers are and what they're thinking and believing will help you make the decisions that do you drop your price? Do you mm. add a new type of product, et cetera, et cetera. What I find quite interesting, and, and forgive me for a moment, I know that you focus on startups and, and SMEs, but mm. I was listening to the radio the other day. They were talking to one of the vice presidents of Airbus. Mm. And Airbus obviously make planes, but suddenly they're making ventilators uh, for the NHS. And the interviewer on the radio asked the vice president at Airbus whether or not two months ago, if he'd asked that person, uh, the 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 woman who's being interviewed, if they thought that there was the flexibility in industry to be able to do that, and lots of different businesses come together and, and industry be that responsive, whether or not they think they would have said yes. And, and she very gamely said, no, I don't. Mm. Um, do you think that flexibility exists in the startup and small business arena? Because I have seen increasingly a number of organizations talking about pivoting and they were providing one thing, but now looking at the situation, they're working with the police or they're working with healthcare and they've pivoted the whole business. And I, and I guess suddenly they don't have data from their customers about whether or not that's what they really want, but they're, they're following conviction and they feel that it's the right thing to offer. So I suppose it's two-pronged. Do you think that same kind of level of flexibility exists, especially when a founding team has such a clear example of what it is, generally speaking, that they're trying to achieve by going to market? Mm-hmm. And, and, and secondly, how do you then advise customers when the products that they're putting out there are suddenly wildly different? Yeah, so I think to your first question, I think it does exist. And I think that's probably the most attractive and amazing thing about the startup community or, or the, the, the tech community is that their ability to respond and change the way that they do things in reaction to data or, or need. Um, I think that obviously it's more, um, it's harder to move as quickly in a big business like an Airbus. Um, but obviously they responded to a need, not just from a, 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 a necessary medical need and a government directive in effect, but also there's no doubt that they're going to be benefiting in some way financially from from this as well. Um, and I think with the startup piece or the small business piece, um, that flexibility is definitely there. But again, they have to respond to data and customer needs. And ultimately, when you're making a decision to pivot your business or to change the direction that you go in, you can't do it arbitrarily because what you end up doing is burning cash effectively for no re- no reason or worse, putting yourself in a position where actually it may have made more sense for you to ride out the storm for your business than dramatically change. So pivoting is not by any means a necessary thing that businesses have to do at this time, regardless of the, of the situation. Um, it's very much what makes most sense for what you're trying to do. And we all, we know that industries that in every kind of downturn, 
there are going to be industries that do really well. So remote working tools, um, online, you know, e-learning, uh, online fitness, all these industries are going to be doing really well. And maybe there's a, um, a case for not necessarily pivoting what you sell, but maybe just pivoting who you sell it to and how you sell it. And how do you understand the need of what those industries that are potentially doing quite well now as a result of what's happening? Um, how do you pivot your messaging or your solution slightly to tailor for, to be tailored for an industry that may need it um, in a different way? Now, if businesses are pivoting in a quite reactionary way, they're probably doing so on someone's gut feeling or they're, you know, less scientific than following data. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, how can we use data and how can we make sure that the data that we do use um, in a way that is 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 free or of, not free of bias? Obviously, you can't ever be completely free of bias, but at least minimizing the bias. And, you know, if you think back to your, your origin story of having your passports removed and there being a slightly African name on there, but if you talk to you, you're, you're clearly uh, not from that region of the world. You know, bias exists everywhere. So I suppose to you, it's particularly pertinent that we try and do that in a way that that is kind of inclusive and, and builds the right kind of cultures. Agreed, yes. Yeah. So I think um, the bias piece is, massively underestimated when we're trying to uh, get data back from from our customers. So the, one of the key tools that people uh, people use is actually just to ask questions, whether it's in a survey form or it's a face-to-face discussion. But there are particular questions that we ask that aren't helpful when you write them or when you ask them. So if I was to ask you, Dave, um, would you pay a um, hundred pounds for a ticket to space. I don't know how much you care about going to space. I know a lot. T- a ticket to space. If it was a hundred pounds, I'd worry that it was probably quite short yeah, and yeah. I might die. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But and the answer might be no. There's no way I would pay as little as a hundred pounds because you know of that particular reason. However, because that question is rooted in a future that doesn't exist, the value of the of that answer isn't actually very useful to. Uh, to to the person who's trying to get the data. So how you, so the better better question to ask would be around your past experiences. So um, obviously, you know, have you paid X amount to do Y thing before in the past? That can start to give people traces of data for you to connect together. And bias can come in when you're asking questions like uh, that are related to future or sometimes even the order in which you ask questions can create bias for the following answer. Mm. And our view is that for you to make as accurate a decision as possible, and you're right, you can't completely remove bias. It's it's not possible. But there are steps that can be taken to as much as possible remove that bias. So the data that you get back is um, is clean. And going back to your point around, you know, just, just bias in general, you know, if you take the funding, um, the the funding, uh, the VC funding industry, for example, we know that there's a lot of data out there around uh, a lot of minority groups that don't get access to some of this funding. So there are already um, uh, different uh, establishments or, or or companies that are trying to address this gap because they recognise that bias exists in this space, and this is going down on a more mi- micro level and more about bias in data to make sure that 
you're not taking your business down a path that actually isn't based on uh, clean data that will actually kind of help you strategically. Look, I, I think it's been a fascinating chat. I really appreciate you giving up some time this morning to uh, tell us a little bit about Tectonic and where it came from, where you're going. So I appreciate that. And good luck for the rest of the year ahead. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So, Keish, if someone told you that they were coming to London with their CIO and their CTO and their exec team and that they wanted you to pitch your idea and it didn't exist and you didn't have a team and you didn't have an office, would you just kind of go, nah, mate, mate, we need a few days? Or would you pull it all together in, what, less than 24 hours? Pull it all together in a hotel room. Uh, (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, fair play. When I heard that, I, I did have to rewind it and, and listen to the build-up again. But um, yeah, I'd probably be like, no, 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 listen, I, I need a few more days and, you know, that sort of thing. But fair play to him. It, it, it reminded me, of, I don't know if you've seen the film The Italian Job, where uh, the whole kind of team assemble and then, you know, kind of come up with a plan and then they kind of just crack on with it. So it kind of reminded me of that or avengers or you know whatever there's loads of movies where a whole squad has assembled and then gone on a mission really fast and furious comes to mind as well yeah. i don't know um i love i love that half the team hadn't met until yeah. they met in the hotel yeah yeah yeah, exactly but I, you I, would I wondered, think... go on I, w- I wondered what they must have thought like initially well exactly you know, both the clients and the team yeah, exactly. They must have thought, you know, is he is he absolutely off his head or, you know, what's going on? Um, but fair play, you know, that's that's what happens, right? We hear about these stories all the time. Um, and it's great, you know, great to see they all worked out for, for the best. Um, yeah. Or Nana and his team, actually. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I just think I, I wouldn't... It takes time to build up that natural kind of we know what each other's doing type thing. And I can't they must have been really in sync and actually have worked together really well previously for the client not to be like you lot are just this is a, this is a this is just a calamity but yeah, yeah, yeah. um i also look with what's going on um in the wider world at the minute and black lives matter etc cetera, etc cetera, it's awful to hear yet another instance here you know, I recorded this back in April with Nana, so well before all of this kicked off, uh, lots more um, around police, police brutality and whatnot. But literally, just being held in an airport for absolutely no reason Ooh. is bias of the worst kind, and yeah. just looking at a passport and profiling for no particular reason. But I love that it had that silver lining that he sat next to someone who offered him this business opportunity, and I suppose there's there's some kind of positive there in the kindness of strangers and how 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 chance or how life can throw up an opportunity to you when you least expect it yeah i mean it's fate right like it's the fact that he he got stopped on the way to meeting his friend and you know had to sit in a in a holding place or whatever um for some time and also um you know the 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 fact that you he he at that time was actually staying fairly positive i mean yeah, I mean, I've I've been in one of those places or rooms before. They're, they're not exactly the most fun. Um, it's like a hallway just with chairs, really. But you know, the fact that he was quite positive and actually was speaking to people um, just goes to show, right? And and if, if anything, what well, what what my parents always used to tell me is, if if that sort of situation happens, just keep maintaining your own personality 
you know. Um, and, and and he did that, right? He was just talking to people, asking about what they do, that sort of thing, coming across as how he came across in the interview as, as you know, fairly knowledgeable and, and, and quite an approachable guy. So, um, yeah, crazy how that happens, right? And we hear stories like that all the time about how you just kind of bump into people mm. and, and, you know, that can be your, your ticket to following your passion and your dream and, and starting up a business in his case. The other point that I really liked that he made towards the end of the interview was around how clean data can help your strategy. We often talk about bias and how bias is really important that we try and minimize its impact in data. But it's obvious, isn't it? When you, when you say it like that, you don't want mis- misleading data. You don't want data that's driven by bias because you're then going to make the wrong business decisions and your strategy is going to be screwed as a consequence. But I think he just he, he articulated that in a really nice, clear way. Yeah, and and also a lot of I think I think because there's so much blimmin' data available now, like and and anyone and everyone can have access to all kinds of data at the moment. Where I think businesses in particular, biases aside, having that clean data and actually having the access to make uh informed decisions on you know the right amounts of whatever you know insights that they're looking for i think that is massive specifically well or or kind of especially now given you know that they will be facing a lot more i guess a lot more challenging circumstances where and i hate to say it the the new normal and you know the new way of working new way of living all that sort of stuff i think the the cleaner data the, the better decisions businesses will make which will mean the products and services for people like me and you are going to be much more accessible and, and easier to use and and you know I, I guess tailored to our needs um from where we are at the moment so yeah respect to that let's go to a quick advert break nana thank you for being our guest on today's show when we come back we'll have a bit of news about smart appliances my fa- oh, that's like asking my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite podcast? Uh, I think Football Ramble. House of Rugby. Um, Billy Yang's um, podcast. Freakonomics. Um, is Science Versus, and they're always very quirky. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I listen to that a lot just because the camaraderie and the individuals. Your Cast is a brand new podcast series where we talk to people making podcasts. On this show, you're going to hear some exciting new talents as well as some of the biggest names in the podcasting industry. We're releasing weekly in all the places where you'd normally get your podcasts from. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Here is a report that's in The Guardian uh, today. Smart appliances may not be worth the money in the long run, warns which. If software is not kept up to date, items can lose functionality and become security risk. Now, there's a couple of there's a couple of interesting points here. First of all, the security risk point. Lots of these items that we're sticking into our home aren't patched patched correctly. And with us all working from home, we know that cybercrime, as we have spoken about on this show, Akish, is going through the roof targeting people at home. So that is a big concern. Equally, I just got to ask you, (laughs) customers are paying an average of £855 more for a smart fridge freezer. Is it really worth it? What, What is smart about it? What do they do? Well, it just what, tells what, you that you need to go buy more milk or you've yeah. got a screen that taps milk on the, on, like, nearly a grand? Come yeah, on. I mean, what what does it, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. The, and I've, I've seen it, like, you know, when you, you go into one of these Curry's PC World type stores and you see all these 
funky washing machine with lights and you know lasers and, and a massive screen big as big as an iPad. You think, well, I just want to put it onto a number, put my detergent in there, and and wash and take it out after forty minutes or whatever. I think it's, yeah. I think it's even more bonkers. They they say apparently more more an average of one hundred and ninety pounds more for a smart tumble dryer. I don't really care if a tumble dryer is smart. I just want it to dry my clothes. Like yeah. I love technology. I love tech. This podcast yeah. is for the love of tech. But yeah. Really? Yeah. Really, two hundred quid more for a smart tumble dryer? No, nah, I'll be completely honest with you. The only smart kind of house stuff I've got is speakers and TVs. Really? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? And, and and obviously that's something that I will spend a lot more money in because yeah. I, I like that sort of stuff. But. I'll be completely honest with you. There's nothing smart about my fridge or my freezer or my tumble dryer or my washing machine. It's pretty much just standard stuff. I don't know who these people are that are paying for it. Maybe it's one of those mega mansions that we see in Chelsea. And it's just status symbol, isn't it? So, Look at this flash thing that we've got. Yeah. And also, I reckon I'd be absolutely crap at working those. And Yeah. You know. Smart speaker makes sense. Like we don't have CDs anymore. So you want stuff that's hooked up to the internet so you can play mm. any kind of music that you want and stream it. That yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. TV, similarly, you want a smart TV because you want to be able to access Netflix, BBC iPlayer, whatever mm. else. Mm. Smart tumble dryer, it doesn't need to access Netflix. Does it add heat in different countries? Or like, you know, can you dry your can you dry your blooming boxes with the sub-Saharan desert heat temperatures? I don't know. Like it's ridiculous. Whoever's spending that needs has got way too much money in. Yeah, needs to go invest it in something better, you know? <laughs> Rant ran over from Tech Talks. We love yeah. tech. But we do think that's a bit of a waste of money. Yeah. Um, exactly. <clears throat> thank you for tuning in today. Enjoy the rest of your week. Keish, thank you for your time. Nana, no thanks problems. for being our guest. We'll be back at the end of the week. <laughs>